And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining for th- joining us for this program because this program is going to be very, very interesting. I say that about every program, but this one in particular, because on this program, something that has never happened before is happening today. I sometimes do have two guests on, but usually they're uh, totally and completely related to the same subject matter. And in a manner of speaking, my two guests are today. I did not want to put either of them off to another broadcast, so I decided, and they agreed, to be with me on this program and each other to learn more about them, about one another as well as what we're doing here, uh, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. That's right, and we're going to be talking with our two guests. One of them has a website. I want you folks to take these down. There are two of them. It's going to be interesting how I'm going to set up two links uh, on one podcast and videocast, but I'm sure it's possible. We have Finding True Magic. You can realize your full potential with uh, transformational hypnotherapy, NLP, and all kinds of other great stuff. And we have with us on our program to talk about that uh, Jack Elias and Jack is with us via Zoom. We also have as our guest on the program uh, a woman who is sharing with us her insights about uh, and I found this rather interesting on her website uh, making being great again Um, and we'll get into that as well with her website Awaken Holy Oneness dot com and her name is Drasmin and I I'm making sure to be respectful uh, to make sure I roll my R and Drasmin and Jack thank you so much both of you for not only being on the program but agreeing to share this time together welcome and as I have shared with you and I've shared with our listeners I do not believe in coincidence I do believe in coincidences, events that coincide. And this is one of those, ladies and gentlemen. As I said, this is the first time this has ever happened, and I think it's going to be pretty cool. We're going we're gonna to start with you, Jack, and the work that you're doing through the magic that you are helping people to find in their lives. And, of course, we're talking about true magic. Uh, I've heard of NLP, if, if I'm correct in breaking it down, it's neural linguistic programming and you also have an institute for therapeutic learning uh, as well as uh, lucid heart therapy and life coaching Uh, so you are the founder and director thereof tell us what is uh, I I, I want two different different definitions what is magic and what is true magic True magic is effortless, spontaneous being constantly, fully, perfectly manifesting all the time. Okay. Nobody's doing it. Nobody's doing it. No. We're who, all being, who used all, to be? We are all being it. Mm-hmm. Effortlessly. Who used to be doing it? Nobody. 
No. So this is all new to us. This is something that you have. What? Where did you discover or find this? Uh, well, we all share true being. We all we all are manifestations of true being. So, if you pay attention to your own being, you find it, because that's all there is. Okay. If you've been trained, most of us have been trained in varying degrees of intensity in childhood to reject and repress and overlook our true being and, in, and substitute for it our so-called personalities, our socialized personal selves. That's the false magic. That's how we fool, our, we fool ourselves and each other by doing the magic of fearful separate self versus being naturally and simply our true self, mm -hmm. which intuits shared being with everyone. We recognize ourselves in each other. Mm. We, sh we have shared being. The tragedy of humanity is that it's very rare for people to recognize that. As, as you can see in our current day, it's getting the, the uh, cult of fearful separate self is getting worse by the moment. Well, I, I, those people are divorced. See, you know, when I started presenting hypnosis and hypnotherapy, I presented it from a different point of view, which is that we're in hypnosis all the time. Who we think we are is our root hypnotic state. People think in their conscious life that they're just conscious and that maybe hypnosis is something that's done to you to make you not be conscious as if your conscious mind is not hypnosis, but conscious mind is hypnosis. It's who you think you are, hmm. which we've been trained to create as a barrier from experiencing who and what we actually are. Who we you know, think we if, are versus if, who we really are. Yeah, as if as a, a little child starts out unselfconsciously expressing true being. They don't have any ideas. They're just unselfconsciously expressing. If they are in an environment where they start being punished for their unconscious expression, they learn to not trust it. They learn to even hate it. They learn to repress it. And in its place, create the activity, the act of being the person that the people, the big punishers want them to be, being the good little boy and the good little girl. So they can stop being punished. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, you know, and and it's what's fascinating to me is in one of my previous interviews, I asked my guest, um, I know a lot of people think, well, you don't remember the name? No, I've done so many, it's hard to keep track of everybody. And, and to that, I apologize for not being able to keep track. But uh, the present moment is where we are. So this particular guest made the comment to my my query so are you telling me that somewhere down the line eventually we will know who we are and they said no they said eventually down the road we will eventually know who we have always been mm -hmm. and he or she was speaking more in terms of our true essence is that where we find out who we really are as opposed to who we think we are, who we've been told we are, and in some cases, some would say who we've been programmed to be who we are or th th that we've been programmed to be. 
Well, you could say yes to that, and it, but it but it presents an unnecessary obstacle, which is that it's framed in terms of time. Okay. It's not down the road. You know, time is a trance. Everything happens now. And it's very personal and individual. So it's to practice recognizing, resensitizing yourself to your true self moment by moment. Now, moment by moment now, not thinking, oh, someday I'll do it. I really loved, you know, what I consider, like you started talking about how this is a coincidence. Um, I use the term auspicious coincidence. And I think it's a very auspicious coincidence that Razmin is here from the very first instant she appeared on the screen because she went like this. Oh, you can't see it. She went like this, which is one of the main simple, powerful practices I give to my clients and students, which is Practice interruption, interrupting your habitual patterns of thought and behavior by putting your hands over your heart and simply saying, I embrace myself with love and respect. Mm. And make it habitual, which is easy to do. We have our heart, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'm not the kind of person that could do that. People don't realize we have a hardwired habit forming power that responds to repetition and vividness. It doesn't care at all what we think about ourselves. If you do something repeatedly with sincerity, with vividness, it will become second nature, automatic, effortless habit guaranteed. So if you do this loving practice every day, sincerely, within a month, it will be automatic and it will cut through and short circuit all the old conditionings you've had to attack yourself and punish yourself and put yourself down. Jack Elias is my guest. We are also joined by Drasmin, and we will be talking with her shortly. As uh, he has a book out, and it's entitled "The Outrageous Guide to Being Fully Alive," and that's what we're talking about here. And this is talking about how to defeat your inner trolls. I like that, and reclaim. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, you got to reclaim your sense of humor. I'll share a little bit about how I'm doing that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I tell you, this program is so unique and so different. And I don't mean Tell Me Your Story, the podcasts and video casts, the podcasts which you can get on SoundCloud and iTunes and TuneIn Radio and Amazon Music and iHeartRadio or the, or the YouTube videos on uh, Tell Me Your Story, Richard Dugan, uh, where we video these programs. I'm talking about this specific program where we've broken the mold. That's right, we've broken the mold and we've brought in two guests who somehow through divine intervention, and I'm going to say it that way, divine intervention have brought the three of us together to share this time. There, is, there are no coincidences, only coincidences. Drasmin is my guest along with Jack Elias. Jack has a book and it's entitled The Outrageous Guide. Outrageous Guide to Being Fully Alive. You're going to defeat your inner trolls and reclaim your sense of humor. And to, to that end, I'm going to tell you, uh, um, Jack, we're going to go to uh, Drasmin in just a moment, but Jack and Drasmin, what I am doing at night before I go to sleep, and I'm not looking at the screen, I want you to know that. I go to YouTube and I pull up stand up comedy 
and I put the screen face down and I just listen. I listen to the comedy. I listen to the humor. And it's, uh, I, I try to make sure that it is, it is actually funny. I don't want to say non-offensive because that's very subjective, but humor uh, that sort of I, I can laugh at because, oh, yeah, that's me. You know, I can I can chuckle at myself and my little foibles and peccadillos and so forth. Uh, and I tell you, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, uh, Jack, that <laughs> this country needs to, this planet needs to uh, regain its sense of humor. Drasmin, you also have a website, uh, and you've also just self-published your uh, your book. Is that correct? Yes. Tell us a little bit. What's the title? So my book is called I Am, and I Am is an acronym that also stands for Inner Alchemy Meditations. So the title of the book is I Am, Inner Alchemy Meditations to Awaken and magnetize your I am presence. Mm. Now it sounds like, uh, and would maybe you and, and Jack would agree that uh, maybe the two of you are sort of are in a in concert here, uh, in your respective um, uh, thoughts and philosophies and so forth. Maybe not entirely, but partially. Um, tell me what is I, I we we I could ask you what is meditation, but I'm not going there. What's alchemy? Okay, this, that's, a, that's a great starting point. So alchemy is uh, truly uh, the process of science. It is the process of integrating science and spirit in the physical body. So basically what it means is the physical body is like your pot on the stove. It's just an empty pot and you can put whatever you want in it. And then you have the multiple ingredients that come in of your consciousness, of your spirit, of your energy, of your desires. Then you have the emotional ingredients that come in. Then you have the physical ingredients that come in, how you move, how you operate in the world. And when you bring all of that together and you stoke that fire, and that fire is your will, then it starts to alchemize and transform. So alchemy is a process of transforming mundane ingredients, separate ingredients into a soup that can either nourish and support the entire body or not. And so my meditations are, um, there are 33 keywords that align with the vertebrae of the body and each keyword has eight line poems to invite for uh, inner reflection, uh, to, to invite for contemplation. And, and the format and guide that I was guided and I use is very simple. Uh, notice how you are before you read the poem. Notice how you are after you read the poem. So I is uh, inter in, in inner, so the I is identified. How am I doing before I read this poem? Then the A is awareness. How am I doing after I read this poem? And then M is the meditation. Meditate on the difference before and after reading this poem and allow yourself, like you were talking about earlier, to listen. Because the practice of listening is more profound than the practice of doing an action. 
I find it very interesting that Jack mentioned the word being and you mentioned being because ultimately we're not here to accomplish. We're not here to meet goals and deadlines and check things off our list. We are here to experience the gift of life the gift of being in this moment. And so these inner alchemy meditations are, are intended to just bring greater awareness to what is going on inside, in the mind, in the heart, and how that presents in the physical body, how that looks in that pot of soup. Mm. Uh, you know, the two of you uh, bring a very interesting energy and, and um, a mixture in philosophy that is uh, quite similar. One of the things that really uh, you talk about listening, uh, Drasmin, um, we promote on this program have been since September of 2019. First the year, then the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Now, where is that perfect vision? The only place you will always have perfect vision of self is going within. And that's what we've been promoting, encouraging people to do just that. Through this meditation, and I would take it that this is a, is this a particular, uh, obviously you're using this poem as, as you've written in your, in your book, I Am. Um, but is it, a, is it something that we even want to define and give a name to, a type of meditation, or is it, this is just however you experience it? Tell us a little bit about it. I feel the best way to, under, to uh, answer that question is to really just break down what meditation is. And meditation is the practice of uh, observing. So <clears throat> when we are immersed, in our daily lives, that is what is known as the 3D. We are attached to the experience. We are attached to the emotion. We're attached to the story. We're attached to the outcome. Um, then when we practice detachment, that's when we step into 4D. That is where we go into the state of the observer. We're no longer attached to the, the, the environment or the body or the mind. We are now detached from it. So meditation is 5d when you become the witness observing means that you are looking at whatever experience to glean the lesson or the blessing witness is simply witnessing without responding without feeling like there has to be something that comes from within simply witnessing you are witnessing the sun rise you're not observing how the sun rises is going to help you grow your crops so that's the difference between 3D, 4D, and 5D. And meditation is the practice of sitting 3D, observing 4D, and then becoming through over time practice, the witness of whatever experience might be. It reminds that's me- what meditation is. So it's, uh, you know, I really like to uh, break down what meditation is because there's a lot of, misconception of what meditation is oh you need to do these mantras you need to do these affirmations you need to listen to this music you need to sit in the lotus position stand on your head do these yogas <laughs> and, but meditation is really the practice of becoming the witness and then if you practice it long enough you become the witness you start to embody that meditative state where your life becomes a witness to life itself 
Mm. So meditation is, you know, picking up what Jack said earlier during his share, meditation is the practice that allows you to step away from the entanglement and the attachment to the ego, to the emotions, to the story, to becoming the sovereign being that allows you to just tap into your true magic and experience life in its fullness without the programming that's always there because we are in this 3d reality uh, there you go right there folks see true magic she referenced it in that regards to your true magic and that's what jack is talking about as well and uh, we're going to continue our conversation with both these wonderful guests here on the program drasmin and jack elias here on tell me your story i'm richard dugan your host and uh, again i love these uh, uh, you know, it's funny, you, you plan and plan and plan and uh, God laughs. And that's, that's basically it, you know. And I, I basically given that given that up, even though, yes, I've got a calendar and I've got scheduling and all of this kind of stuff. And sometimes, guess what? Stuff just happens. And it's great. I want to ask the both of you, and I will address uh, each of you so that we, we, we don't have any confusion here. One of the things that you said, uh, Drasmin, uh, made me think of um, uh, the 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 uh, the aspect of you know the going within you know or and being the observer, and that in when you go from 3D to 4D, 3D sort of becomes irrelevant, and when you go from 4D to 5D, 4D becomes irrelevant, and it reminds me of the experience that I read about. In my metaphysical primer, Autobiography of a Yogi, which I've read hundreds of times, I have it on my phone, like Steve Jobs. I have other books, too, but, you know, and it's the story of where he and his guru went into a theater to watch a cinescope, and it was, it was okay, no big deal. And they come out, and his guru says, you know, I, I see that, you know, you are a little disappointed in that cinescope. Well, let me, let me give you another one. And boom, gives him a shot in the chest. And now he is aware of everything all around him. 360 to 360 to 360 degrees, if you will. And then he's brought back. That's what makes me think, that's what, make, uh, uh, that's what you made me think of when you said to become the observer. Because there's no emotion involved. You're just... You're just watching. Um, Jack, let me ask you, in regards to these uh, trolls that we are defeating, it seems to me that the trolls exist only in maybe the third, uh, the, the 3D world. I don't think they exist in the, in the time, the fourth dimension per se. Um, and I know they don't exist in the fifth dimension. Uh, is that is that fairly accurate? Well, I think the most way the most useful way to understand them is that they're they're the appearance of the mistaken use of our creative intelligence. They don't have independent existence. Um, when I, uh, again, from, 
I have a, an unusual approach to what hypnosis is. We're in hypnosis all the time. Mm -hmm. Who we think we are is our root hypnosis. And that's because language is inherently hypnotic. When you understand that language is inherently hypnotic, you appreciate more precisely the importance of how to use language. Mm -hmm. One of them, there's many aspects to the hypnotic uh, nature of language, one of which is nouns. We're all taught that nouns are things. Mm -hmm. So whenever we use a noun, we have a subtle or not so subtle pull into the hypnotic uh, attitude that we're dealing with a thing. But there are no things. There's just activity. And we know this. This is not religion. This is science. We know this now. It's just uh, an ocean of energy appearing as things according to different levels of vibration. A very, a very easy analogy would be the ocean. You go to the ocean, you see thousands of waves. Maybe you see a really nice wave coming by and you go, oh, I want to take that wave home. Well, you try to scoop it up and you quickly find out you can't do it because you called it a wave, which is a thing, but there is no thing called a wave. There's just the ocean waving. So everything is activity. So if I, you know, the, the, the images I use for the title of the book, that's just skillful means to get people interested and in because it corresponds to the way people think. People think in terms of nouns and objectifying. But if they start working with me in some way, then I introduce them to developing the awareness that they're witnessing activity. They're never witnessing things. They're witnessing activities. Mm. And that empowers you because you're the doer of the activity. If you think a troll is outside getting you, you have to fight or run away. But if you realize you're creating the troll, there's no problem. And then you also inquire into what is the motivation for creating this troll? Where did I become tricked into thinking it was a good idea to create this troll and then believe I'm the victim of the troll. Interesting. Interesting. Drasmin, you also talk about making being great again. When, uh, let's take it back in history, when was being great in the beginning? Where, where, where was it that we were great being? Well, isn't that a good question, right? I mean, we're looking at his story, which in itself tells you that we have an incomplete story. So we don't really have an accurate measure of when being has ever been great because it has always been either an excess of the masculine energy or an excess of the feminine energy. So I feel that what we're stepping into with making being great again is a completely new paradigm where both the masculine and the feminine can coexist in harmony and truly thrive. Mm. For me, being, and uh, I'll just touch a little bit on what Jack mentioned earlier, you know, he talked about NLP, mm -hmm. neuro linguistic programming, and awaken holy oneness. And really, all of my work is based on deconstructing the language and bringing greater awareness into how it is used and why it is used. That's really what quantum is. Quantum is our ABCs. Quantum is our energy. Quantum is our thoughts and our intentions and how all of that comes together. So being 
So I, I do a lot of wordplay and I love to take words that are overused or misused or abused and re-empower them. Um, and for me, being, B-E is an acronym as well as a word that stands for be everything, be emotional, be excited, be exhausted, be you know enraged, be whatever it is you want to be. Allow yourself to be that and hold space for that. And if you're looking at it from a scientific perspective, any emotion that arises in reaction is as a physical response. Our emotions are a physical response. It's an energy in motion. Mm -hmm. If we look at it from a scientific view, that, that peak of that emotion down to the wave is approximately 90 seconds. So if we can learn how to practice just being in stillness for a hundred seconds every day, you know, try it for seven days, try it for 30 days, then you will start to notice that there's no attachment. There's only the mind telling you. And in 4D, the mind that's protest a little too much and say, oh no, you have to hold on to that story or you are not anybody without this identity. Mm. And so that's where the conflict comes. And that's where a lot of like, in my opinion, a lot of the addictions and depression and, and distortions happen because the higher self, the heart knows that there is greater beyond the mind, but the mind likes control. And in today's society, we are not given us the space to even respond. We're not given the space to process information. We're not given the room to have autonomy over ourselves more often than not. It's like quick, 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 instant decision, instant gratification, let's go, let's do, let's do, let's do, let's do. It's like do hustle, hustle, you know, the hustle culture, the struggle culture. These are all illusions. These are all constructs of that struggle between the separation and the unity that doesn't allow the process of being. So for me, it's like I, I, I invite for full authenticity and I also invite for empowerment above that. Acknowledge your traumas, acknowledge your trolls, acknowledge your shadows, but they don't dictate your life. If you're allowing them, then you're choosing to stay in perpetual victimhood. You're choosing to feed the cycles of struggle and disease and depression and addiction. And until that is resolved quantumly with our language, with changing our language, removing words like can't, don't, shouldn't. I should have known this. I should have known that. I can't do this. I don't think I'm able to do this. Once we start rewriting our language or at the very minimum holding those 900 seconds every day to even notice, set a timer for 100 seconds and just observe the chatter, the LA freeway in your mind just going 100 miles an hour. It's like, wow, so much chaos, but chaos is not the state of the heart. The heart is calm. That's why the yogis of India, that's why the ancients, you know, they always come to the heart because you center into the heart, then you realize the mind is a tool. Hmm. Let me have you uh, respond to that, Jack, if you will, or add to that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and we are here with Drasmin and Jack Elias, and Drasmin's book is I Am A uh, I A M, and then there is uh, Jack Elias and his latest work, The Outrageous Guide to Being Fully Alive, Defeat uh, Your Inner Trolls, 
and reclaim your sense of humor. And uh, Jack, I wanted you to um, either add to or respond, if you would, to what uh, uh, Drasmin had to say in our last segment there. I think what she said was wonderful. Um, I would, uh, so I'll, I'll present another paradigm. You know, paradigms, uh, if we relate to them properly, are very useful. So um, I have created a paradigm called the 18 types of confusion that create all our suffering. And what I've noticed in 35 years of teaching and counseling is everybody always says how confused they are. Mm. And in investigating the hypnotic nature of language, I at one point realized this is very valuable uh, to utilize because everybody says how confused they are, how confused something is, but they don't really inquire into the nature of the word. If you look at the word, you have con, which means with, and fusion, which means pour together. So you get a state of confusion anytime you pour things together that don't go together. Because then you're relating to a hallucination of a thing. You're trying to deal with a thing when really it's two things. Mm. Now, the root confusion from which all the other confusions arise is fusing being, the worth of being, with performance, activity. The worth of doing? The worth, the worth of doing, of performance. Yeah. And we get, again, we get that in varying degrees, according to our environment and parenting, as little children. When we're totally naive, we don't have a discriminating faculty, we are just very tender, vivid experiencing of being. And if our parents do not understand, ironically, the golden rule of parenting, which is always love the child and lovingly correct the behavior. What we find in dysfunctional societies and, and toxic societies is the opposite, is that being is attacked, the heart is attacked. And that attack is being justified by uh, being unhappy with the behavior. Like if you spill your milk three times, instead of being reassured, sweetheart, that's fine. You're, you, you're just learning hand-eye coordination. I had to do that when I was your age too. Instead of encouraging and helping them understand how better to hold the cup so they won't spill it, you get slapped. You get yelled at. You dumb little blah, blah, blah. Why do you keep spilling your milk? Are you stupid? And sent to your room. That's confusing being with activity. Mm -hmm. A very powerful message that if your activity is not pleasing to the power, in this case, you know, it's always the parents, mm -hmm. and then we project it onto society later. But in the beginning, parents are the gods. They're giant mm -hmm. gods to mm -hmm. a child. Yeah, so whatever they say is the law of the universe. So you don't, if they lock you in your room, you don't sit in your room as a little three-year-old and saying, that was really unfair. They are really in a, in a stressed out state. They must've had a fight last night or they wouldn't have treated me that way. No, a little child is in his room reflecting, if you spill your milk three times, you get yelled at, you get slapped, you get called dirty names, you get sent to your room. Law of the universe, law of the universe. Not my parents are so neurotic. <laughs> law of the universe 
which is why it's so hard for most people to unpack that stuff when they get older and have a cognitive faculty that they could use to unpack it is because they don't question it. It's laws of the universe, <clears throat> which is why what uh, uh, Drazmin is introducing in her work is to wake up that critical faculty to clearly see what's going on and to regain a sense of your heart being which you were taught to reject because you got attacked so much mm-hmm. from just simply behaving out of your innocent being. Drasmeen, mm. would you like to um, add to that? Um, yeah, I would love to. Um, really beautiful inside, Jack. Thank you so much for that. Um, I want to, you know, kind of bring this full circle and talk about something you mentioned a few times, Richard, you saw on my on my website and my LinkedIn and what really drew you to reach out to me for this interview was uh, uh, higher education. Yeah, uh, Awaken Holy Oneness is a platform that I founded about two years ago. And my intention with this platform, and I'm in the process of rebuilding the website is to provide an alternative to our education system. Uh, because the, 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 I feel like a lot of this con- confusion, a lot of this uh, rejection has percolated and continued for many generations from a miseducation and or an absence of education. It really is what it boils down to, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in the East, in India, and I've also I've participated in the education system of both India and the East and here in the United States. And across the spectrum, three key aspects of being in the human experience are missing. One is integrated spirituality. We are all spiritual beings. We are all a consciousness temporarily occupying a physical form that is perpetually shedding and shape-shifting. The second key that is missing is um, emotional intelligence. Just such an important aspect to development. You know, our, our brains, when they're young, they're like putty. And the lines and grooves that we see in the images of brains are the pathways that have been formed over repetition, whether that repetition is negative or positive. It doesn't matter. The brain doesn't differentiate. It's just a road. And the third and really important aspect is empowered sexuality, not this. Uh, I don't know what this sex ed thing that they call here in America is, there's completely absent in India. But if these three aspects were, re, were brought back into our education system, and I'm slowly been creating content and courses around these three topics, as well as if our story, our, our history was revised for accuracy to invite the woman, the being story into it, regardless of gender, then we can really start to uh, pave a road for future generations where it's not the parents' fault or the grandparents' fault or society's fault or anybody's fault. We are all receiving the education at a young age when the mind is young, you know, those first seven years are so crucial to develop and they set the tone for the entire rest of one's life. Bringing it back to education, I feel, is what's really going to make effective change in this world over any other kinds of programs, because all they are is band-aids to a gunshot wound, when the wound is several generations deep. 
our, our body in itself, our mitochondrial DNA holds up to 14 generations of memory. And that means all of it, not just, you know, the good, happy ones, but all of it. So we have memory of famine. We have memory of war. We have memory of, of disease, of infection, of, of plague. We have that in our bodies. And so the lack of education is just adding more layers of tar on top of it and then creating a hardened, disconnected, fragmented society that doesn't know how to connect with itself. And then you go through the awakening process where you realize, holy shit, everything I've been taught is a big fat lie or is actually not supportive for me because of who I am in my unique abilities. And then that can be very overwhelming because then there's not a space for that uncovering to happen. You know, we talk about like, let's reprogram, let's rewire, let's create affirmations. Well, what about the space that's needed to unlearn to create room for that? Mm. So my mission with Awaken Holy Oneness and all my work is to really start bringing more awareness into how important it is to take space for the unpacking, especially the older you are. And that gentleness that a three-year-old needs is the same, if not greater gentleness than an adult needs because of how much they've already infused into their system it's a lot easier for a child than it is for an adult to learn something new now for those of you watching uh, the youtube uh, interview you can see on jack's face he's got something he wants to add i can i can just see it in your face jack well i thought at the end you might be asking for stuff stuff so i just prepared it in advance. Ah. <laughs> Well, the only thing I'm going to ask is if you hold on, we're going to continue talking with both uh, Jack Elias as well as uh, Drasmin here on uh, Tell Me Your Story. This is uh, New Paradigms for a New World. Jack uh, alluded to uh, how important paradigms are. And we're trying to find the new ways of living. The old ways just don't work. How do I know that? Why don't you just look around? They're not working for us as human beings. We have got a long way to go, it seems, and maybe we don't have so far to go if we will just wake up and, and realize who we are, not what we are. Uh, I am not my work. I am not these interviews, uh, but uh, I, I do them. I have a great time. And one of the things that I wanted to share with the two of you in regards to what we've talked about thus far is this concept of being. I remember when I was working, I worked 15 years for a Christian radio station back in the 80s and early 90s at the height of televangelism, a kind of a sad period in, in, in my estimation, but needless to say. And I began to wonder about what it meant uh, from the biblical standpoint, the, from the Gospels, where uh, Jesus says, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Oh, well, what is that? What is that perfection? What, is, what does that mean? And I pondered, and then I went back to the Old Testament, and I read where it says, I am that I am. And I thought, well, okay, God isn't good or bad, right or wrong, left or right, white or black. Uh, uh, God is not dualistic. And when I say God, I'm talking about the divine, the universal power. I'm not talking about uh, the Christian philosophical God. Uh, some people say uh, it was a, he, was a, he was evil, so to speak, or very maniacal in the Old Testament, and he was all warm and fuzzy in the New Testament. Now, we're not talking dualism here. <clears throat> and then it hit me. That's it. 
To be is to be perfect. Just to be. And that's where we say just be in that moment of silence, going within and listening to that still small voice. So I want to put it to the two of you as we continue here. Um, what is the, in your estimation, in your perspective, as we've been talking here, the importance or the unimportance of going beyond, and, and the first thing that comes to my mind is the dimensions, three to four, four to five, uh, going beyond a duality or recognizing there is no duality. It's it's a it's it's part of the programming. It's a part of uh, what you've been talking a little bit about, Jack, uh, in terms of the you know uh, uh, the being the person doing the the performance, as opposed to just the existence, if you will. Jack, you I'll let you start. Okay, uh, I've been doing this a long time, and I've had the occasion of working with people from lots of different spiritual traditions who are misguided and mislead themselves because they don't understand the nature of language. They don't understand how they think about things is affecting the outcome they're gonna get. And they don't understand our capacity to create blind spots. You know, in the 70s, uh, a, uh, there was uh, John Wilwood, I think was his name. He created a wonderful term called spiritual bypass because there had, you know, meditation had been in the Western environment for about 10 or 15 years now. Enough people have been meditating, you could start to see some various kinds of effects. And one of the main effects that was detrimental was that people could get good at going inside and being silent and quiet, but they would use that as an escape. Mm -hmm from what was happening in their regular world. And so they weren't developing any emotional intelligence. And that was called spiritual bypass. Hmm. So you can create all kinds of spiritual bypass. It's like everything is a double-edged sword, like the, the paradigms we're mentioning here, like different dimensions, things that can be wonderful if you relate to it properly. It can be detrimental if you relate to it improperly. One improper way people relate to those things is they start fantasizing what these dimensions are like. And that just takes them away from being present in their heart. They start creating a gaining idea like, oh, I want to get out of the fourth dimension or get into the fifth dimension. That's just doing violence to yourself. Your heart is always right here. You don't have to understand a lot of spiritual complex ideas as, as uh, um, Durazmin said in the beginning, you don't need a lot of complex things. It's coming into the heart. So one, again, since to me, the root of the problem is how we think. So I like to introduce to people, everybody thinks. I haven't met anybody who doesn't think. So I say, you know, so my question will be easy to answer since you're so familiar with thinking. And my, my question is, what do thoughts refer to? Hmm. That's a very good question. Well, you think you'd know the answer after all these years of thinking. What if thoughts refer to? Ah, wow. 
you got me on the spot here. What do thoughts refer to? Uh, uh, creating in the material world in terms of thoughts are manifest into the material world. And so we think of things and then we want to bring them into reality, so to speak, into our third dimensional reality. All that's thinking. What do thoughts refer to? Uh, you're going to have to answer the question unless you I will. I mean, we don't have, I think we don't have enough time to tease this out and, and <laughs> exhaust your efforts. So I'll give you the answer. Okay. Thoughts refer to other thoughts. Thoughts can only refer to other thoughts. Now, somebody might say, well, wait a minute, Jack. Let's see, is this going to show up here? What? Yeah. This is a pen. This is not a thought. Pen is a thought. Pen is a construct, is a conceptual construct signifying the usefulness of this constructed object that's constructed out of various things according to various levels of learning throughout several decades or so. It's not a thing. It's a, you know, if an elephant were to, and I think of elephant because Drasmin comes from India, if an elephant were to step on this, it would quickly stop being a pen. But all of the elements would still be there. Pen, we understand pen is the functionality, but we're so familiar that we've lost awareness that it's signifying activity. We think it's a real thing. There are no things. There's activity. We can relate to activity as if they're things. It's not a big deal when you're talking about pens and tables. Where it becomes a problem is when you relate to yourself as a thing. Then it's a big problem. Thoughts can only refer to other thoughts, which means, hmm. and this is cut the root. If you want to cut the root, thoughts can only refer to other thoughts, which means it's impossible to think about yourself because you are not a thought. Which means all of your burden of your personal history, et cetera, et cetera, that's all thoughts referring to other thoughts, all relating to a thought of self, which is not you. If you could get this right now, you're free. You have no burden. Because you cannot think about yourself. Drasmin, you get it? I get it. <laughs> you're free you're free <laughs> so what you do is you start witnessing thoughts as Drasmin said it's to develop the intelligent witness consciousness that is not hypnotized by thoughts by the thought of self it just witnesses it no fighting you don't need to fight it just see it for what it is mm. you are not a thought so it's impossible to think about your actual self. You can think all day long about your fictional self, about how good or bad you are, how good or bad you are compared to Joe or Sally or whatever. That's just thoughts about other thoughts. It's just bundles of hypnotic suggestions. Be the witness of all of it. You're not in there. You're free. You're always free. All right. So if that is, and, and I'm not saying it's not true, but if that is true. Are you thinking right now? <laughs> yes, I am. I am thinking about other thoughts. And my thought is that if we encourage people to go within, and I've even said this on the program that, you know, we need to know about our both our light and our shadow side, 
because it's both of those that makes us who we are. And of course, this is sort of part of the duality. When in reality, you know, none of that from as you've sort of described it, none of that really matters. None of it does. Uh, would you would you tend to agree with that, uh, Drasmin, that that it's not about revisiting those elements of the past, those other thoughts, because that's what they are now, because we're not in that moment anymore. We're now forward in time in the fourth. Your thought, your thoughts on that. <laughs> My thoughts do not exist, so let me see if I can find them. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, you know, the, this is a tricky question to answer because we are when you're asking the question, what comes to mind is the concept of time, which is a, a thought, right? It is a measure. Time mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. a measure that allows us to 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 discern the length of an experience of an emotion of whatever you know time does not really exist except in a thought form yet time is a dimension in itself mm -hmm. um, and earlier you said you know once we you know break free from the 3d it becomes irrelevant and then we go into the 4d we break free it becomes irrelevant we go into 5d i caution on the use of the word irrelevant because Yes, it is irrelevant in a point, but it is not because we are in this 3D body. So it's not about escaping the 3D. It's about transcending the thought that binds you to the 3D. Uh. So you know, when Jack was talking about the spiritual bypassing, this is what he was talking about where someone's like, oh, let's just use the example of desire, for example. In the 3D, we are attached to desire. I need pizza. I need the cigarette. I need this relationship. I need this job. You know, we're so attached to it that we become imprisoned to it. 4D is about detaching it. And that's where the ego can come in. I don't call it my ego because the ego doesn't belong to anybody. That's the attachment right there. The moment you say my ego, you're attaching to that opinion. So the ego likes to come in and try to like hold on to it. And that's where the addictions come in. Or you can go into the, the ego of like, Psh, I don't need coffee. Coffee needs me. I don't need this job. This job needs me. This relationship wouldn't be without what it is if it wasn't for me. And then you go into the 5D where you release the desire and you say, oh, well, pizza's awesome. If I really want it, I can make it or it'll come to me in perfect timing. This job will come to me in perfect timing. You're not attached to the thought. You are now operating and vibrating on the frequency, on the energy. Energy attracts energy. You know, coincidences, synchronicities happen when energy is, is vibrating and oscillating. Particles are moving towards each other. And so this whole practice, uh, uh, you know, it's very, language is very dangerous. It's very powerful and it's very dangerous because it's so subtle. The moment you think of something, even if you don't say it out loud, it becomes a form. It becomes a brick. It becomes a building block. And then you have one, two, you know, it's a small Lego size. But if you have a thousand Legos clogging up your brain, you're not going to be able to see the wood for the trees. Mm -hmm. So it's about sitting and just like letting those Legos just drop and fall out. Um, and in terms of how we attach ourselves to a desire and emotion, you know, they have an expiration date like fruit. You know, it comes from the seed of our consciousness 
And just like the seed of a fruit or a vegetable, you know, gets planted in the right soil, it blossoms, it grows, it gives fruit. When the fruit ripens, it naturally drops. In the same way, our experiences, our thoughts, our emotions, they have a natural timing where they drop. So I don't believe that it's important to relive the past or even give it too much attention other than awareness. More often than not, our past traumas, our past experiences, the reason they keep coming up is because they haven't been acknowledged. So in AHO, Awaken Holy Oneness, AHO is another acronym. AHO is also a pathway of awaken, harmonize, and then optimize, you know, awaken through awareness, harmonize through alchemy, harmonize through, you know, alchemy could be the process of just sitting still or actually going in there and feeling the feelings. One of the most uh, life-changing experiences for me was when I went to an EMDR counseling session and EMDR is a very specific type of therapy that connects directly with the emotion of an experience without reliving the experience. So it's a cognitive therapy that's used for high complex trauma because we don't want to re-traumatize the body when we want to transcend an experience. We want to support the body. So allowing ourselves to connect with the heart and just feel that emotion and just witness the current will allow the story of the past to just drop because you're acknowledging the core of the emotion. So I, I caution on, on using the word irrelevant okay. because it's not irrelevant. As long as you are breathing, you are very much relevant in the 3D experience. It is how you engage with it that defines whether you are being in the human experience or whether you're just grinding your way in misery. Hmm. Jack, have you uh, anything to add to that? Sure, I always have something to add. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, uh, even, you know, as I said, everything can be a double-edged sword. Even what sounds like a very sweet, wonderful thing, like go inside, I've had people for years come and say, I can't go inside. I don't know how to go inside. They're being hobbled by the concept. It makes them blind to the fact that you're always inside. Hmm. You're always inside. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere you have to go. There's nothing you have to improve. It's just to relax the addiction to improving and going, hmm. which is driven by childhood trauma that I have to escape from being because being is the reason for punishment. Mm -hmm. Because you don't have a cognitive faculty as a child to recognize the reason for punishment is these people are crazy and mean. The only thing you, you don't understand adults have in their lives. You think you're being attacked because, and they're telling you, it's because your being is defective. So this is passionate, addictive, traumatic, urge to escape being, which is driving everything we do when we get older, if we don't introspect and release those programs. But the most innocent directions, like go within, the, the you know, I, there are no things, there's just activity. So I make a point, ego, there is no ego, there's egoic thinking. Egoic thinking is marked by 
the notion of a self. Egoic thinking is referring to a thought of self. What's going to happen to me? I'm better than you. That's egoic thinking. There is no thing called an ego. There's just egoic thinking. And egoic thinking attaches itself to everything. Mm. It's, a, it's, it's addictive ownership. Spiritual attainment, my spiritual attainment. I am going to be the best spiritual attainer ever. Oh, I've come to meditation every day for a month. You've missed three weeks. I'm so much better meditator than you. <laughs> it's constant comparing and, and taking of ownership or putting down, whatever. But the point is to be alert that we're always involved with egoic thinking and that the point is Again, what made touched my heart as soon as I saw Drasmeen, put her hands over your heart. It's so simple. Just practice embracing yourself with love and respect. Not respect for Jack or Drasmeen or Richard. Respect for being. Respect for the gift of life and consciousness, which is in your face moment by moment. Hmm. It's so obvious we overlook it. Yeah. Uh, to address the subject of addiction, I read something, and I met the two of you through LinkedIn, uh, on LinkedIn, and it said, basically, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. And I, and I have to tell you, it changed my perspective, my observation of people with addictions. And yes, I, I'm sure that I have mine. Um, and, and, I, and I guess we are all addicts to one thing or another. And the majority of us are probably what they call functional addicts, you know. Uh, but, uh, but we all have those things in our lives. And we have them because we are not connected. So the question I have, and I'll start with you, uh, Drasmin, what is it, if, if we accept that definition, all right, if we accept that, that quote, that addiction is, uh, uh, that the opposite is connection, connection to what or to whom? Mm. Wow, that's... Um... That's so profound. Let me take a breath with that. Hmm. Hmm. Our pain and pleasure, they travel on the same highway in our body. And as Jack was saying, you know, when we are children, we are given a meter of understanding whether our desire is something that's going to bring pain or pleasure. If it is something that brings pain, but we perceive that that's something that'll give us pleasure, then we're going to continue seeking for it, but our mind is distorted and creates pain. If we are taught that what we desire is okay and pleasurable, then we develop a connection, an intentional connection to it. Oh, I desire coffee. Okay, you can have coffee, but you're gonna have it when you're a little older, when your brain is a little more formed, when it's not going to affect you. Oh, okay, so there's a connection to coffee that is then taught, that is then shown, rather than you can't have it. 
well, daddy has it, mommy has it, and then we're going to go get it. And then you drink the coffee too young, your brain, you know, isn't ready to drink the coffee or the cannabis or whatever it is you ingest. And then you develop a chemical response. The topic of addiction is so important because it's not just a substance that we're addicted to. We become addicted to uh, our trauma responses. We become addicted to our jobs. It provides a comfort. It provides a familiarity. And because that's all we know, it, it can be very terrifying to think about something outside of that, something that actually requires effort. The thing that makes addiction so easy in my eyes is addiction is, is an automatic response, whereas connection is a, a conscious choice. And consciously choosing what we connect to is more often than not is suppressed. You know, trauma doesn't just happen from abuse. Trauma also happens from neglect. And I feel that second one is not really talked about where we're neglecting our needs, our desires. And so we go into a secretive state of mind of, well, I have this desire, so I'm going to get it this way, but then I'm going to become high functioning about it. And that makes me so cool and awesome. And then it develops over time. And then you just completely forget that what you originally wanted was just that connection. You wanted to connect with that person. You wanted to feel better. You wanted to you know, do good in school. You wanted to make your mom and dad proud, whatever it is, the connection, the desire for that connection somewhere along the line got mixed up in the pain and pleasure pathways. And you don't even know what's painful or pleasurable anymore. You're just on an automatic response. Mm. And so that's why the practice of meditation and awareness brings understanding to where we are in automatic response so that then we can choose to not just be a, a, an automaton to the desire. Mm. And that's where the 5D comes. And then we have to return to the 3D and integrate that. You know, the meditation provides the key that unlocks the door. And then you come back into reality and you have to put that into practice by using your words, by using your language, by using, you know, whatever the tools of the mind that you have in order to execute that. Mm -hmm. This applies to also uh, a massive abuse that I have noticed in the last few years in the spiritual community on psychedelics. You know, I am, I am a firm advocate of the use of psychedelics to heal the nervous system, but psychedelics, plant medicines, any spiritual teaching modality or any actual modality, you know, any book, any psychology, any science, they are all keys to an infinite whole that then you bring into your sober state of mind to understand true connection. Mm -hmm. Something that I have been taught through my use of plant medicines is you will not truly understand until you are sober because your body needs to be free of the chemical response feeding that addictive nature of our beings. We are naturally addicted to desire. Desire by its nature cannot be fulfilled. But when we recognize that we are just hardwired to desire, we can then recognize, oh, this desire is coming from a place of wanting to connect, or this desire is coming from a place of, you know, disempowerment, of not feeling safe to express my needs. I don't feel safe to ask for this, so I'm just going to take it for myself. Mm -hmm. And that justifies the means. Yeah.
Jack, what about you? Uh, when we talk about this this new definition, shall we say, addict, the opposite of addiction is connection. Connection to what or whom? I think it's important to just make a distinction between needs and desires. Mm -hmm. Desires are optional. If your needs, the, and the root need we could say is uh, the need for connection with self, the need to be connected to the awareness of the wholeness of being, that you are inherently whole, inherently lovable, inherently worthy, and nothing you think or say or do can diminish that. Nothing that anyone else thinks or says or does to you or about you can diminish that. But we lose that. We lose that, again, when we're supremely vulnerable little children. The message is your being, the value of your being is dependent upon what we think about you and is dependent upon whether what you think or say or do is re regarded as a mistake by us. So the natural connection to awareness of the sacred qualities of our being is broken by that. And then we, we, it like creates a vacuum and you can't, the universe abhors a vacuum. So what we fill that vacuum in with is desires. Desires are false needs. That's why they're addictive. A genuine need can be met in a genuine way. A false desire can never be satisfied, which is why it's addictive. No matter how much you get, you want more. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for bringing that distinction, Jack. Uh, yeah. Yes, because it is really important to recognize the difference yeah. between need and desire. We yeah. need our physical, our emotional, our spiritual, our touch needs to be met. And like you said, the connection to self-awareness allows for that clarity. Yeah. Desire is naturally met by life. Life desire, life is motivated to thrive. And so life manifests everything needed for life. Hmm. When it gets interrupted in terms of human form, when it gets interrupted by abusive, unsupportive behaviors, that impulse, it's like it comes up, but there's a block there, so it gets diverted. So instead of flourishing as a desire and the fruition of a desire, it gets, uh, of a need, it gets diverted into desires, false desires. Like, uh, I can't, I can't receive love, but maybe if I eat enough cake, that'll do the trick, you know, mm. or, you know, drink enough alcohol, whatever will numb me. And you don't need substances to numb you. you, you can, the most powerful numbing is thought. Without being addicted, the root addiction is addiction to the idea of self. If you weren't addicted to a concept of this version of being a defective, fearful, separate self, which embodies all the prohibitions against natural flow of needs uh, and is, the, is constantly generating false desires. If you weren't addicted to that thought, you wouldn't participate in all the consequential addictions. So the root addiction is addiction to paying attention to toxic thinking. You know, um, uh, just a side note here, uh, a year ago uh, this month, 
I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. <clears throat> I was out of the type 2 diabetes mode in a month and a half. And it's because I had what I would refer to as an addiction to sodas. Now, it wasn't just the sugar, but it was also the fizz. I loved the fizz. I love that, that feeling as it's going down. It feels so good. <laughs> And I remember my doctor telling me, Richard, it's going to be a, it's going to be a long road for you. It's going to be a long journey. And I said, uh, no, it's not. I said, I know how I got here. So I decided, I made the decision to eliminate sodas from my diet, from my consumption. I switched to sparkling flavored waters that had zero calories, zero carbs, zero sugar, okay and then someone said to me yeah but they come in plastic bottles i says look one step at a time okay just one step at a time here all right <laughs> but i didn't do it because i wanted to get rid of the type 2 diabetes i did it because i want to live to be at least 100 and i wanted to adjust my chemistry back to the way it's supposed to be so that I have the proper elements. And you mentioned this earlier in the program, Jack, I have the proper elements within my body to facilitate the pharmaceutical company that resides within my body to generate those chemicals and those compounds that foster the good health, muscles and immune system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's the reason I did it. Not because sodas are bad, and, and we could go down that road, but because of my feelings about duality or the fact that there is no such thing, uh, I just realized that that is not good for me. Other people have to make up their own decision and make up their own minds, but it wasn't good for me. And so, boom, and I have not had one in over a year, in almost a year, in almost a year. And so, um, and actually, I should rephrase that. It actually was two years ago, because last year it was the gallbladder and a gallstone. All right, my gallbladder's gone, and so is the gallstone. Uh, it was the size of a golf ball, and I had a par five. <laughs> but it's, it, it, was, it was my decision. It was my choice. And we talk about choices on this program all the time. Matter of fact, it's one of our phrases giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Why do I say knowledge of those choices? Because many people don't know what other choices they have because they've been locked in a particular thought process that says, well, there's only two ways of doing things. No, no, there isn't. No, there isn't. There are millions of ways of doing things. The question is how creative can you be? What and then you talked about, we talked to higher education, uh, Drasmin. I'm a firm believer in education of all kinds, not just formal. I mean, I did not go to university. I went to junior college for three semesters. I went to a vocational school for broadcasting in 1980 for six months. And uh, I jokingly say that I, uh, I knew more going in than I did going out. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And when you start that that's what these programs are about educating people so when people listen to this program they hear your words jack they hear your words does mean 
now your philosophy, your ideas, your concepts, your thoughts, if I may, Jack, they're out on this smorgasbord table with all of the others, of all of the other people I've interviewed. And we ask people to come to the table and partake of that which resonates with them, that they feel comfortable with, and that's okay. Because if they feel comfortable with it, and then they start reading and they start hearing and seeing and experiencing things, they may come back to the table and try something that before they didn't resonate with. It didn't. But now it does. It's like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. I think I'll check that out now. I didn't want to before. It's kind of like me with tomatoes. Oh, hated them as a kid. Hated them. I love them now. Uh, so that's part of what this program's all about, and I am so grateful that the two of you have chosen, as I said at the front end of this program, to be a part of this very unique, spontaneous, and um, actually quite enlightening program. I have, I have a lot to think about. I'm going to have to listen to this interview again myself to process all that we've talked about here on the program. Uh, and again, we're talking with Jack Elias, as well as as well as Drasmin. She has a book out. It's called I Am. I A M. It's available through her website. And that is um, uh, Aho. Oh, by the way, I was going to mention that. Aho, I have a dear friend who is a Chumash Indian. And whenever we greet each other to say hello or goodbye, we clasp uh, forearms and we lean into each other shoulder to shoulder. Aho, Aho. As a, as a, it's kind of like aloha is a good hello and goodbye. But there's something about that that just, it's something inside that just hits me. It's, it's great. Uh, so anyway, um, uh, so we encourage you to go to her website, will be linked to, and also Jack's website and find out more about the work that he's doing in the book. The Outrageous, uh, Outrageous Guide. It is so outrageous that it's available on Amazon, I'm sure, and all other outlets. Outrageous Guide to Being Fully Alive. Uh, defeat your inner trolls and reclaim your sense of humor. Please, folks, please reclaim your sense of humor because, quite honestly, there's so much to laugh about, even about self. I mean, I, like I said at the front end of the program, I have all these plans. I've got a calendar with schedule. And here I am with two guests I booked on the same day. And boom. What a what a what a great program. We hope you'll stay tuned as we continue on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're here with Drasmin as well as Jack Elias. And this has just been an extraordinary program in my estimation. Uh, somebody else may put up comments saying, eh, it's no big deal. But it was a big deal for me and I hope for the two of you. Uh, and before we go, I have three final questions that I do ask each of my guests. And I'll kind of bounce it back and forth so each one of you has a chance to uh, think about it. But this question is not part of those three. And the, the question is, is directed to uh, Jack, to you first. Uh, let me ask you, not knowing that this was the way this particular program was going to unfold, with a, a, a second guest in our in our uh, Zoom room, uh, what what are your thoughts now after? You know, we talked about the before, before and the after concept. What are your thoughts now after having been through this and experienced this? I'm very happy and grateful. I've met a new friend, two new friends. Drasmin. Hmm. 
I feel that it really um, allowed for a deeper understanding of both of our presences uh, and really uh, allowed for a bridging. I know that my work can be very intense for the common layman, so to speak. And I feel that Jack really brought in a good um, introduction, so to speak, into the awakening process and the deeper alchemization process that my work then um, guides the being into if they so choose to go down that path. Well, I, I would uh, concur with both of your assessments of, uh, of this uh, past hour or so, uh, which is what we've been talking. It goes by so fast sometimes. It's just utterly amazing uh, at how the fourth dimension just, you know, just moves. Uh, speaking of which, um, I, I use this analogy, and I'm sure the two of you have seen <clears throat> on a computer screen somebody recording audio of some sort. <clears throat> and you see that center line that's just kind of sitting there, right? And on the left side of the line, with most programs, you see the wave has been created. The audio wave is there of whatever it is they were recording. And on the right side of that line, nothing. It's empty. And the way I, I look at that, on the right side of the line where there's nothing, that's the future. There's nothing there. And on the left side of that line, it's the past. It's already happened. And as a matter of fact, for example, the moment that the words and the sound comes out of my mouth and enters my ear, it's already the past. But that center line, that's the now. That's right now, this instant. I haven't heard it yet, but then there's the thought. You know, you talk, we've been talking about thought. And the thoughts are in there, and then the thoughts come out. But that's a whole other subject for another day. As we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, let me ask the two of you the two, three questions that I love talking to my, uh, asking my guests about. I think one of these days I will compile all of these answers into a book of some sort and uh, maybe get some further response from my guests. But uh, in the meantime, uh, let me ask those questions. And they are, number one, Drasmin. I'm going to put it in this context because I want to stay with what we've been, how we've been addressing you. Who is Drasmin? Oh, boy. Um, mm, I am a being experiencing this simulation. <laughs> um, but let's 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 give a more human answer, right? Um, um, I'm an artist and uh, now an author and an alchemist, and um, I, my background is in um, medicine and neuroscience. Actually, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon, and um, the the motivation behind my life's work is uh, my own personal traumas that I have done extensive work to empower um, the extreme emotional neglect that I experienced as a child that then uh, has uh, propelled and catalyzed me into developing multiple courses and tools for emotional intelligence. And, and uh, outside of my work, I'm a, I'm a lover of life. I am devoted to devotion. I am devoted to the earth to being a voice for the earth, to being a voice for um, the beings who are still discovering their own courage and power. Um, I am a, a, a mirror 
of uh, your joy and your sorrow and your dreams and your hopes and your fears um, walking this life beside you. I may have a deeper understanding of a concept, yet ultimately I'm also in this uh, 3D experience with you, um, a spiritual being having a human experience. Who is Jack Elias? Well, I'm going to follow uh, Razmin's guideline. I'm uh, I'm a, a hypnotherapist and a, a coach and counselor. I've been doing it for 35 years. I also train people. I have certification trainings. I have all kinds of other trainings. I put in the chat box my upcoming webinar, as well as my other book, Finding True Magic, which you didn't mention. Just a little oversight there, but. Uh, so I've been doing this a long time. I've been meditating, studying intensively with uh, meditative masters for 52 years. And um, I have uh, six children, eight grandchildren. Mm. And uh, and um, I think that's about it, other than the fact that we're all one. Mm -hmm. And I congratulate you on your survival of raising six kids. I was one of six and my parents are still alive and kicking too. So congratulations. Uh, Jack, let me ask you the second question. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Um, I've always had a sense that I had something to offer, that something was coming through me that I didn't own that I was gifted with the ability to transmit wisdom and healing for people. And uh, so that's always been my joy. I don't, I don't consider what I do work. Mm. It's, my, it's how I live my life. So uh, there's no retirement in sight for me. Uh, my only retirement, Jack, is that I'll be putting new tires on my truck here very soon. That's the <laughs> only retirement I plan to do. Drasmin, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? A whole new world. Truly, though, if I summarize it so succinctly, you know, a whole new world. I really, I really hope through my simple embodiment, my work is simply, you know, the gifts of my being. But I hope through my I am presence and through my work to uh, begin to shatter the illusions of, of separation, the labels, the, the, the boundaries, so to speak, that do not allow us to open our hearts and see that we're we all get 24 hours a day. We all experience pain. We all experience death. We all experience joy. We all go through shit and we all go through wonderful things. And I hope my work brings greater light into how um, both uh, unique we are and also how um, one we are. we are. We are made of earth, air, fire, water here one moment gone the next and what a gift it is to be in this human experience and i pray my work really brings out the aliveness in the being that it connects with 
And when I ask these questions, I thoroughly know that it is possible that you may have answered the next question with the last, but I ask it just the same. Drazmin, what is your life's purpose? <laughs> um, if we're talking about my mission of service to the world, it is to be a change maker. And Jack, what is your life's purpose? Uh, to constantly cultivate wisdom, compassion, and skillful means to help others do the same. Again, I thank the two of you and a reminder that, of course, Jack, you have two books out there, Find, Finding True Magic, which is also your website. We encourage people to go there as well as to find out about the outrageous guide to uh, being fully alive. I love, I don't know why it touches me so, Jack. I love the word outrageous in the title. I, I think it's great because, quite honestly, people are not out there even living ordinary lives they're barely living ordinary lives and we need to just literally we need to be outrageous uh, we were watching a matter of fact a movie not long well just the over the weekend and it's called uh oh is it uh jerry i think it's jerry and marge go large uh where they figure out the formula they don't do anything illegal they figure out the formula to this particular lottery game and they start helping their small town it's a great movie. People need to see it. It's, 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 uh, but I love that word, outrageous. And uh, uh, Drasmin, I thank you so much also for being with us and sharing your work and your book, which is I Am. We hope that folks will go to your website as well. And again, folks, that website is awakenholyoneness.com. Dot com, awakenholyoneness.com, and we will be linked to both of your websites, and I've already figured out how I'm going to do that. As uh, Again, I thank the two of you for joining us and being a part of this, this spontaneous collaboration. I'm Richard Dugan. I thank you for listening to and watching. Tell me your story. New paradigms for a new world as we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true and a lot to think about. I know because I got to watch and listen to this interview again. Uh, so much was shared here on the program and we hope that you will join us again for our next broadcast podcast videocast. And until then, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening. <laughs>